Welcome to the Florida Teacher Leaders Fellowship podcast number four. I'm Stephen Kaplan, FLTLF alum, and I'm here today with Charlie Cummings. One of the required elements of our fellowship, as you know by now, if you've been listening to the podcast series, is that we are required to create value creation stories about how we were transformed by our experience in the fellowship. And as I reflected on my own journey as a fellow, what stood out to me most was the transformation that occurred in my ability to learn by listening. Hence the reason for this podcast. The hope is that you will find some value and inspiration to continue the work of being a leader in education, which naturally all teachers are, by listening to our experiences. The podcast is structured to allow each of my guests to tell their stories. And I'm always amazed at what I learn from these incredible people. So welcome, Charlie. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Charlie, you have an interesting um, situation in where and how you teach. So, tell us a little bit about who you are, where you work, and what brought you to the fellowship. Absolutely. It's a great story. Uh, I was actually the only uh, online teacher involved in the fellowship. Um, So, it was kind of neat being, you know, one of uh, (laughs) myself, right? Uh, but at the same time, it was really unique how I even just came across this thing. I got an email one day uh, from my instructional leader, and he put he puts out this weekly email every week, just giving you a heads up what's going on. And I guess he saw it on somebody's Facebook feed, which is you know unique to me too, in the sense that I don't even have a Facebook. I'm an online teacher without a Facebook, and I just totally dismiss social media. It's pretty cool. Um, but he sends this out to me, and I look at it like, yeah, I'm going to apply to this thing. I'm going to see what's going to happen. I think, you know, this is, this is really probably a really good thing for classroom teachers. I wonder if I could be a part of it. Um, and sure enough, I got in, which was just absolutely amazing. And then uh, one day I'm at a drive-thru in Chick-fil-A, and some guy from uh, uh, the Alligator in Gainesville is calling me, asking me questions about it. Um, it's, it's just one of those things. You know, you look at yourself, and you're like, I'm an online teacher participating in, in a fellowship for, for teacher leaders in the state of Florida. That's really cool that they're acknowledging me in my forum. Uh, as, as possibly an effective teacher leader. Um, so that's kind of what brought me in, uh, was just this, this idea that, you know, my instructional leader is always trying to pass off these opportunities to people. Um, and this was the one that I kind of just, you know, uh, gravitated towards, uh, and it, the opportunity just uh, panned out. So I was, I was super stoked for that. I was then, and I still am now, uh, even having gone through it. So Great. Well, and of course, I, there is a lot of conversation about technology and education and online learning and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that in our podcast episode today but I wanted to kind of get into your story a little bit so one of the common experiences that fellows have and I know like I've mentioned before it's true for me is that there are moments we can point to that radically transformed our thinking as educators through our experience in participating in our action research projects and in our participation with the other fellows. Did you have such a moment? And if so, can you tell us about it? Yeah, I did. It was actually uh, kind of eye-opening. Um, it, it was something that I kind of like suspected um, a- after a couple of meetups and regional meetings. Uh, and it all kind of came to a head uh, when we were in Miami for the conference. Um, uh, prior to this year, um, you know, I well, actually prior to this instructional leader that I, I currently have, uh, I had had uh, six uh, principals. This was my seventh. In, in almost five years, and um, I, I love the term instructional leader because to me it, it, it signifies here is someone in the field of education that if need be, uh, they could be at the ready to hop into the learning environment um, and, and facilitate instruction at the same level 
uh, as the teacher. You know, they're always on point. They know what helps. They're, they're best to facilitate these collegial relationships. They're, they're what we need in education. And I, I've always kept this with me. And as we were going through the fellowship and we were going through the face-to-face meetings and we were doing the opening moves and we were listening to people talk and hearing about what everybody's experiences were, I kept hearing people talk about the, the, the struggle they were having with administrators about implementing their projects, the struggle they were having on a day-to-day basis uh, with their leadership teams at their school. And when we got to Miami and we started doing the conference, um, there was a little focus group that was put together, and uh, we, we ended up going up to, like, the top floor of the building, which is hilarious because I hate heights. I was, I'm not going to lie. I did not look out that window. Um, but we're in this room, and we're, we're working with uh, the two gentlemen from uh, Great Britain on their, their research project, and it hits me as I'm in this room with everybody. We're all hitting on this idea that, that there's this group of people out there that are running education that feel uh, that they are, in fact, instructional leaders when many of them aren't. And this kind of just took hold of me. Um, the idea that I, I'm incredibly fortunate for, for who I work with, um, and at the same time, I'm with these, these, this, this group of teachers that could you know, teach, teach circles around me in a classroom. I'm not going to lie, I'm not a great classroom educator. But the, these teachers that are just fantastic at what they do, they're struggling to take their gifts and their, their talents and, and really kind of move education forward because of this roadblock, because of this hurdle, because of this administrative thing. Um, and that really drastically changed my approach to thinking uh, about the dynamic between um, administrators and teachers, uh, the dynamic between teachers and students, and the limits, more or less, on, on what we can do as educators uh, to enhance the quality of learning that we provide to our kids and, and really make learning memorable. Um, that was really kind of just like that super giant aha moment for me. Um, and then after that, I kind of got bitter <laughs> for the rest of the fellowship. Uh, and I just kind of sat there was like, how do we fix this? And then everything just kind of changed. So luckily, I was... I was really stoked I was done with my project by then because everybody, my thoughts and feelings changed towards, well, how do we fix that? Hmm. Um, but that was that was really that moment for me. Okay. And that's a thing that's come up with some of our other uh, podcast contributors as well. Um, and I know it's also, from what, I, from what little I know about your um, ongoing action research project, that was kind of like making learning memorable was part of your project as well. Is that correct? For sure, very much so, absolutely. So, you know, you had this epiphany that that we have this community of practitioners who are gravitating toward each other and who have a sense of of commitment to community, to community with each other and to community with students to improve learning for for young people. Um, so, but you also noticed that you were frustrated by... Um, Structures and administration, which <laughs> not I, mine, not my own, which is fortunate. But you know, like I said, you, you, and being a part of it, you saw this too. I mean, when was the last time you were in a room with with thirty nine people that just absolutely amazed you uh, with their thoughts, insights, talents, and abilities? You know, right? I mean, you, I mean, as a college student, I can't ever remember being in a class like that, or even having many professors that were capable of doing that. But yet, time and time again, we were put into these situations where this this unique group of individuals, we came together and you saw, you know, what the what the potential was for education in our state. And then you heard about the limitations on that potential. And, um, and it's fr- to say the least, it is frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
I'm getting a sense, but I want you to communicate for our listeners. What do you think changed for you in that moment? And in balancing both what you were trying to achieve in creating community and some of the difficulties that you both listen to other people experience with that process and maybe what you learned from your experience kind of going through that in your unique situation. So, so for me, it was one of these things. I, I always come back to the idea that I'm fortunate in what I do and who I work with and most importantly, the students that I work with on, on a daily basis. And when I look at these obstacles that, that great educators face, I, I have to think about this being a, a substantial problem uh, in our state. And I'm one of these people that if I see a problem, I'm probably going to deviate from what I'm supposed to do and, and then focus all my mind effort on it uh, for days and days and days. Um, and since then, I've been trying to figure out ways where, you know, a system of practitioners, you know, like we are, could really come to understand um, how to have these systems in our schools where administrators do administrative tasks um, outside of hindering the performance um, of educators, outside of preventing memorable learning experiences. And it's something I keep coming back to. It's something I'm trying to figure out. There's got to be a unique way to do it. Um, I think a lot of it begins and ends with um, how our current systems in public education are structured, but I also think a lot of it uh, has to do with uh, how we recognize talent, uh, how we reward talent, um, and uh, how we move forward in trying to make teachers better. And then early on in the fellowship, I remember there being a big discussion about schools run by teachers, and that idea has always stuck with me. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. I do believe that administrators play a role in education, but I believe they, much like you know, a, a support role would be in a, in a learning environment, that's the true nature of administrators, is to support uh, the actions of educators. Pivoting into what I did uh, with, with my project um, and, and making learning memorable, um, one, of the, one of the things we do as online educators is, is try, to pro, uh, try to provide and promote um, high-quality synchronous instruction in an online environment. And when you're trying to do this with high schoolers who just spent seven and a half hours in a traditional classroom or four hours playing tennis or something like that, um, you, you got to be captivating, you got to be engaging, you got to have some sort of, of uh, skin in the game, so to speak, with it. And I look at what my instructional leader does in, in supporting, you know, the, the efforts to make this possible, to make these synchronous sessions more rewarding, um, to make them an opportunity for, for kids to be engaged in the content, but also make it an opportunity for teachers to work with one another to build those collegial bonds. I mean, especially at a distance, you know, in my situation. And I see how this all works together as a system um, in, in online learning. And I, I keep coming back to this idea of if it works here and we have these, this great ability to connect and communicate and get on the same page uh, with making education, um, you know, wonderful and engaging for our kids, and we can do it as remote educators who, I'm not going to lie, see each other maybe once or twice a year, then why can't we take some of this and apply it to the traditional, uh, traditional learning environment where, where teachers see each other on a daily basis, where administrators interact with you and hire you 
um, and, and usually don't go anywhere for a while. Um, that's kind of where it all took me after, after that sitting in that top room in the top of the hotel in Miami, um, was just trying to reflect on, on, on my experience and this, uh, cycle that we're using as, 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 as educators with a, an instructional leader supporting our efforts and wondering why we can't manipulate that in traditional schools, um, you know, for, for, for the betterment of classroom education. Kind of rambled, uh, rambled there. I apologize. <laughs> well, but I think there is something there, right? So yeah. what I hear you saying is there's a piece of community that has to be more intentional as part of your work because um, physical proximity isn't a given and that there are ways that you've discovered to create interest, engagement, and community um, with in the online environment that may be better than what we're doing right now for ourselves, those of us who work in physical classroom buildings. Sure. Um, so talk a little bit about that. I'm interested to know, after having gone through this experience, from your unique experience as an online educator, what you might be able to offer those of us who work in physical schools. I'll be at my, or I'll be at my <laughs> classroom experience is rather limited. Um, reflecting on what I what I've done and what I've seen, there's a lot of structure in in, in the traditional learning environment, and structure is great uh, when it's orchestrated and, and planned out by the teacher. A lot of times I hear my classroom uh, colleagues talk about pacing guides, uh, talk about mandatory blocks for this, mandatory blocks for that. And you sit there and you have to wonder and you think back to your, your, your experience, you know, that apprenticeship as, as a learner in a classroom. And you often ask yourself, well, why isn't this working now when it somewhat worked back then? Technology is only an answer to those who apply it in, in such a way that makes sense. Um, and I know we've all heard about technology being used properly, technology being used as a crutch. Um, but there's, there's this fine line, and I've come to learn this with, with the time I've, I've been an online teacher and the time I've just spent with tech you know, all my life. The tech you know is the tech that will save you. The tech that you have no interest in using but have to use uh, is going to be ultimately your undoing. Um, you know, why settle for a classroom set of Amazon tablets when you can go and try to write as many grants as possible uh, for the iPads you really want? Um, tech is one of these things. It's, it's in the right hands. It's a great thing. But then again, too much tech is, is overkill. Um, one of the things I encounter a lot with my online students is too many online classes, overloading their schedule, having to be in front of a computer for too long during the week, too many hours. Um, taking that, applying it to the classroom, you have to wonder. You put a kid in front of a computer to do, you know, math remediation or to, you know, test them on their uh, mastery every two weeks. Uh, at one point, does, does that kid say, you know what, I don't want to be in front of a computer anymore? Well, that's what our curriculum is built around. It's built around the integration of tech. And there's a delicate balance. There's no real, you know, formula to figuring it out. It's all based on the educator's experience and understanding and how to properly utilize it and the student's desire to want to use it. Um, but yet again, you know, my limits on classroom instruction are, are you know, probably apparent, <laughs> so, to say the least. But that's, that's where I am on tech in the classroom. And that's part of the reason why, 
you know, and, and you saw this in the, the documents I sent over to you, the, the system we designed for uh, classroom engagement, you know, for, for synchronous instruction using whiteboard software um, is a great system to implement when you have a one-to-one -one ratio. But not every school has a one-to-one -one ratio. Not every school is willing to let their students uh, use their own devices in the classroom. And with, with this project, I tried to alleviate that with, you know, a manual device, you know, mm -hmm. something that could be created for next to nothing um, and still give you that idea and that feedback um, on how engaged your students were in the content and where you can grow as an educator. There's, it's, it's one of these things. I mean, we went to school around the same time, I'm sure. You remember the, the, <laughs> the days of Oregon Trail in the classroom and then people bringing in, getting rid of Macs and bringing in PCs and then tablet computers. And then, you know, as the cycle of tech continues, it's where do we draw the line? Do we draw the line on technology or do we draw the line on practice? And um, that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's an internalized struggle, uh, but I'm always trying to contemplate it as I do everything. Well, I think what I hear from you is that you, you know, in your experience, taking technology just for the sake of technology it is not always the best choice, but to focus on what the instructional outcomes you're trying to achieve are. Sure. And that there are, while technology can be one way to achieve those needs, that in your creation of these low-tech solutions to problems, um, it's really first taking a look at what the the goal is for the students and the goal is for the teacher leading a group of students. Bingo. Okay. <laughs> so from your experience as a fellow, um, if you were to leave our listeners with a call to action, a step they might contemplate or uh, consider taking um, from your experience as a teacher leader fellow over the last 18 months? What might that be? I would think one of the things I would tell anybody to do as an educator is to make really close friends with people outside of education that are involved with some facet of technology, whether it be sales and distribution of tech, whether it be somebody who is a computer software engineer or a hardware engineer, or even somebody that provides you know, varying levels of tech support. Uh, there's only so much drive, I think, in teachers when it comes to tech. And we use it a lot for many different reasons, but one thing I've kind of picked up and pulled out of this last year and a half is the opportunity to use tech to streamline or to reduce the amount of time and energy and stress that comes along with being a teacher, a lot of those answers aren't going to be in your, your educational, you know, peer-reviewed journals. They're not going to be, you know, on, on some of these blogs. They're kind of in the hands of the people that can, you know, develop the software for you, that can show you how to write the few lines of code you would need to, you know, take two hours off your task every week. Um, they're in all the Google uh, tutorials to really get into how to use Google Sheets. And sometimes, uh, you know, we're too busy, worried about um, menial things, and sometimes we're really focused on trying to make sure our kids are successful. When you look at that time that we spend on those two things, there's not a lot of time to get out there and research yourself. So 
when it comes to friendships, when it comes to even critical friends, um, my suggestion for anybody listening uh, is certainly make friends with someone who knows tech 10 to 15 times better than you do. Um, it will rub off in conversation. Um, you will develop a partnership, and you don't know where that partnership may take you, uh, but it will more than likely take you uh, to a place where you come to appreciate what technology can do for you and your kids. Uh, and that's, that's certainly what I would leave people with. Well, and Charlie, uh, I'm going to take that advice to heart, certainly, because I think even from this conversation, I've found somebody who probably knows at least five times, if not ten times, <laughs> more than I do. Because I just learned, uh, you, you rattled off a couple of things for me there that I'm going to, um, as soon as we finish our, our episode here, I'm going to ask you about. So thank you so much, Charlie, for thank joining you. us for this episode of the podcast. Absolutely, Stephen. Thank you.